Hello, guys. I am nervous now. I wasn't nervous 10 minutes ago. I just said to Hannah that my knees are starting to knock each other. So please don't look down. Um, all right. So I'm very excited. I'm super nervous. When Di first asked if I can preach or share, whatever you want to call it, um, I said yes. Um, she wasn't expecting me to say yes. I wasn't expecting me to say yes. But I said yes. And then I proceeded to talk for two or three minutes about how good of a vomiter I am when I'm nervous. <laughs> Which means that I could just vomit and then go back to life as if nothing happened. I'm not going to do that today. I promise I'm not going to do that today. But I am nervous. This is my first time preaching. So if you see me shaking a little bit, we're family. So please laugh at all my jokes and raise your eyebrows when something resonates with you so that I know that it resonates. <laughs> All right, let's start by praying. Father, we just thank you so much, Lord God, that you are so good to us, Father. We thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can come to you as we are. We don't need to strive. We don't need to be anything other than your children, Father, who you love. I just pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable to you, Father. And we just pray that your word would reign true in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I want to start by uh, reading a scripture, but I would like, instead of you reading along with me, I would like you to reflect on the imagery of the scripture, because it's going to really come into play a bit later. Man, I'm really shaking. All right, so if you can, just close your eyes, and I'm going to read the scripture to you, and I want you to think about the position of Jesus and the position that you would have in this as well. Eyes closed. So Mark chapter 4, verse 35, it says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them on the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling with water. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Jesus said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? open your eyes. So we see in this picture, it's really strong imagery that Jesus is in the boat and he is completely asleep. He's chilling, he's resting. And the disciples are starting to freak out. They're starting to go, whoa, we're in this storm. Why isn't Jesus saving us and helping us? And then all of a sudden, can you imagine seeing Jesus step out of the boat? Well, he doesn't step out of the boat, but he stands up and he puts up his hands and he says to the weaves, uh, weaves, He says to the waves and the winds, peace, be still. And he declares this peace and this stillness. And then he he questions the disciples and he says, why did you doubt? Why did you not have any faith? So the topic that I want to speak about today is what it looks like to rest in God. What rest actually is in God. And how God or Jesus draws a an incredible correlation between resting in him 
and actually trusting him in the midst of our circumstances. So I want to do that by just sharing a couple of different stories with you. Um, so as Ange said, um, I was, uh, a couple of years ago I went over to South Africa um, and I lived over there for a year. A friend of mine, her name is Stacey, we went to uni together. Um, she just had invited me to come and, um, and live and work and, and do some volunteer work over there in an organisation called Youth for Christ. And so after a little bit of, you know, oh, do, should I go, what do I do? I you know, was like, all right, God, if this is you, then you'll open the door. And within three months in 2014, um, I resigned from my job as a youth worker at the YMCA, and I went to South Africa for a year. And it was probably one of the most intense and challenging and rewarding experiences of my life. For anyone who's been on mission or been, just been away from home, if you've ever moved out of home and lived on your own or whatever it is, there's a real sense of when you are out of your comfort, you have no choice but to rest on God. You have no choice but to draw into him and really, um, you know, commit your circumstances to him. Because life is already hard without God, but when we have him, he makes it possible for, for us to move forward. So I was over in South Africa, and um, there's two stories that I want to just highlight to you, and then we'll, um, we'll pull it apart a little bit. So... The first one was, um, while I was working in the community, there was a 17-year-old girl that I had met who, um, I think she was the, the cousin or the sister of a, a friend that I'd worked with, and she, um, I, I was running a, a, like a life skills youth work kind of um, program, and she came along with a friend to that program, and we had started to get to know each other a little bit, and after, you know, a couple of weeks, she said to me, Tanya, can I tell you something that no one else knows at the moment? I said, sure. And she said, I'm pregnant. I'm five months pregnant and no one knows yet. And I was like, okay. And she, had, she already had a three-year-old boy. So she had had a, a baby at, at quite a young age um, and she was now pregnant with her second child. And not that it was taboo because her family already knew, but there was, a, you know, there was stigma around it. And she was 17. She wasn't in school. She was really nervous and afraid and things like that. So... You know, we walked together for a couple of months. I, you know, supported her as she told her parents. Her mum was, was really supportive, was on board. You know, was like, well, I'm not pleased, but I love you, and I, I'm going to love this baby. So they were just getting her ready. <coughs> Excuse me. On the day of her um, going into labour, of giving birth to this little baby, um, I got a call. So by that time, I think I was quite close to her. I was, you know, maybe a bit of a mentor or something. But I got a call from her um, cousin and who said... Tan, can you, at some stage, can you get to the hospital today? Because um, she's gone into labour, but there's complications with the baby. And she's really stressed, and our family's really stressed, and I think we just need someone just there. We need someone out of the family who can just come and be there. And I said, yep, I'll, you know, like I was at work at the time, but I'll finish up, and then I'll come later tonight. And as I was starting to get ready um, to, to leave work and go back home and get ready, I get another phone call from the same cousin saying... Tanya, the baby's actually passed away um, and they've discharged her from the hospital. So she's now back in the community at home. Can you come and see us at home? And I was like, yep, I'll be there. Not really knowing what to bring or to take or to do, but I think in that moment it was just to be there, just be a presence, be another, you know, a person there that they've invited in. So I was invited to go to the community just as a bit of a just to paint you a bit of a picture, this community was very rural, so to get to it, it was um, lots of dirt roads and, you know, you had to kind of go through, like, rice fields and things like that. And 
um, when, for me to go there, there actually had to be some guys that could meet me at the front of the gate and escort the car in because they don't allow cars to come in after a certain time because of the level of crime. And I was a single female, I was on my own, I was a foreigner, didn't speak Zulu fluently, spoke a little bit. Um, but because of that, they need some escorts. So I went in and you know these guys met at the front of the gate and then they um, escorted the car in. And we went in and you know, they took me to her room and I walked into the room of this 17-year-old girl who had just lost her baby and she was sitting on her bed with all these little pink baby clothes around her that people had given her as gifts and she was weeping. And it was really, um, it was really weird. It was really, it was a, a difficult situation to walk into. Um, and, you know, all I felt was, okay, well, I just sit with it, because I think, I'm so sorry. Um, all I had, well, all I knew that I had was the peace of God. And so, whew. You're just going to have to deal with the emotions, guys, okay? You're just going to have to deal with it. <laughs> um, but we, so I went in and I sat with her um, on the bed, you know, not really saying anything, but just sitting with her and, um, and she was crying and these clothes were around her. And then the mum asked, you know, Tanya, can you pray for our family? I said, yeah, of course. All I had to offer really was, was prayer. So me thinking that it was going to be a little time of prayer with, you know, the girl and her parents and maybe her sister, um, it wasn't that. So she said to me, can you come into the, la into the living room? And I said, sure. So I went into the living room and they sat her down and I stood next to her and she said, can you just wait because there's a few aunties and gogos, which means grandma, um, there's a few people from the community that are want to, wanting to come as well. So I was like, okay. So I stood there waiting, you know, standing with her and one by one, all these people from the community start coming in and they're weeping and they're wailing and they're mourning as a family, they're mourning as, as a community. And there's about 30 people now standing in the room and they're looking at me, asking me to pray on behalf of this family. Guys, I had nothing. I had nothing. I wasn't the skilled anything. I wasn't good at words. I wasn't good at anything. But I stood, like, you know, I remember just standing there being like, okay, God, well, I'm here. What do you want to say? What do you want to say to this family? And so clearly I felt the Holy Spirit say, there's a time for everything under heaven. And I was like, oh, okay, Ecclesiastes 3, which is this beautiful poem-like passage. And so I felt, okay, I'm going to read that. It starts with the first line of Ecclesiastes 3, or I think one of the second verses starts with, in every season there is a time to be born and a time to die. And then it goes on to say there's a time to weep, a time to be joyful, a time to mourn, a time to dance. Thank you. So, so I read the scripture you know, with the whole family around. Um, and then the whole place just erupted into Zulu worship. Have you guys ever seen Zulu worship? <laughs> it's really cool. It's really, there's a lot of dancing, there's a lot of like, hey. And so there was a lot of this Zulu worship that just erupted in this space. And I don't think that I had ever experienced the peace of God like that before. I don't think that I'd ever been in a situation that was that um, painful to be alongside someone else, to carry a little bit of their pain. Um, I don't think that I'd ever felt the heart of God for someone else the way that I felt it that night. But I also, I don't think that I'd ever really felt that pure peace in the midst of a very, very chaotic situation. So let's fast forward to 
a couple of months in, where I had been in South Africa for about eight months. <coughs> and I kind of got to the stage where I was like, God, I don't know if you still want me here. I'm not really feeling what, you know, what's going on. Um, I think I was lacking a little bit of direction, lacking a bit of purpose. And in that time when, you know, I was away from family, I was away from friends, I was away from mama's cooking, it was, it was getting to the stage where, you know, I was like, oh, do I just call it? Do I come home? And it was a Monday morning and I had the morning off. So I just, you know, woke up and, and had breakfast and was sitting and, and spending a bit of time with God. And I ended up reading um, Proverbs 16.4, which says, um, the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. And I remember reading that and it really resonated with me. And I was like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Like God is in everything. He's in the good and the bad, but he, you know, gets us through the bad. He, t- he can turn anything into a blessing. So... I am, um, yeah, I, I left that morning and I had a meeting, I had a staff meeting at our office, which was only about a five minute walk from my house. And as I was leaving, I remember just thinking, like I didn't, the area wasn't super safe, yeah, so it was in the middle of um, Peter Maritzburg in KwaZulu-Natal in South Africa, it wasn't super safe. And we just knew, it was common knowledge that you don't walk around with your electronics or, you know, you don't really walk around on your own. But for whatever reason, that morning, I was like, I just have to get to the office. I'm going to go. <clears throat> and I took my phone with me. Didn't think and took my phone with me. And I went to the office, had my staff meeting. And then on my way back, I was walking along, and I saw these two guys approach me. And within a second, we'd kind of locked eyes. And I was like, oh, you know, your, your gut starts turning a little bit. And you have that whole, oh, this doesn't feel super great. But I don't really know, like, what to do. I didn't really think too much about it. But. I just kept walking, and these two guys, when I went to step around them, they stepped into me, and they, they, they stood in front of me, and they, they kind of stepped towards me so that I had to move back into one of the walls. There was no one else on the street. It was a two-way street, and, um, and one of them held a knife to my face. I don't think my parents know this story, so <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um <laughs> So these, these guys stepped towards me and they held a knife to my face. And one of them said, if you scream, we'll cut you. And I thought, okay, I'm probably not going to scream. <laughs> and they stepped towards me and then they, one of them said, give us what you've got. Like, give us your phone, give us your money. And he went to put his hands into my pocket. I remember stepping back so that my back was against the wall. And I grabbed my phone and I just gave it to them. And I stood there like this. And I like just stood really still. And the guy's like, you know, a bit of an awkward moment. You know when in movies when the, it's, everything freezes and you're like, man, if no one says anything, like, it's going to stay really awkward. That's what it felt like. It felt like the <laughs> longest three seconds of my life. And they exchanged a glance and then they ran off. And I was like, okay. So I kind of stood there, you know, fight, fight, flight, freeze. I froze. I stood there for a bit and then I was like, okay, I should get home. So I turned around and I started walking. And then I, I don't know why I turned back around to look at them <laughs> just to see if they had gone and they had stopped and turned back and looked at me uh, and looked at me. So we had now locked eyes again and I was like, oh man. And then I bolted <laughs> and I, I ran home um, to where I live and, and next door to me is a shelter. Guys, I am not a runner. <laughs> I am not a runner. I'm hardly a walker. <laughs> so so this, was really a, this was really a scene. I ran home. I... I ran to the shelter, which was next door to our house, and where a lot of um, the workers and the uncles, um, you know, that were looking after the street kids, that was the shelter that I worked at. Um, and one of them, his name is Uncle Lucky. He was incredible. He was very fatherly, really looked after the kids and looked after the staff. 
And he, you know, I walked in and I was kind of shaking and he was like, Tanya, what happened? And I was like, oh, yeah, I think I just got robbed. And he was like, get in the car. And I was like, uh-oh. And he was, he was serious. So he grabbed another staff member. We got in the car and he just drove down the street looking for these guys. I was, like, I didn't really know what to do. I was like, maybe this is how they do it in South Africa. I don't know. And we're in the car and then we see these two guys. They asked me what they looked like and I explained what they were wearing and stuff. And they, um, we see these two guys down the road and they're holding grocery, like, shopping bags. And then so Uncle Lucky gets out of the car and he goes, Oi, get here. And then they bolt. They take off. And then there was a police, um, a police guy around. So we went and told him and reported it and did all the right things that way. But I came home. Oh, my hands are sweaty. Um, I came home. And um, by that time, my friend Stacy had called. I told her what happened. Yeah, I said, oh, can you just let Sally know who's our director? And she said, sure. And... Um, Stace came over and she told our, lo- like our pastor of a local church that I was attending and serving in and they all came and they all sat around and were leaning in like, Tan, are you okay, man? Like, whoa, this is intense. And I just, I mean, you know, humor helps me a lot, but I think that I was really okay. And I remember telling them that like, yeah, I'm all right. Like God, was, God had it. God was in control. And I didn't realize until later that everything that God had been teaching me while I was in South Africa had almost led to that moment of how I was going to respond to a very chaotic situation. And, <coughs> excuse me, so again, um, I just, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to draw your attention to how I responded, but just rather that the peace of God and the, the rest that we can find in God is so powerful. It's so powerful and it's so necessary in the world Like, we live in a very chaotic world, a very busy, a very loud, very opinionated world. And I think we're living in a space where people crave silence sometimes. Yeah, they crave being unplugged. They crave um, something that is beyond themselves. And I think that, you know, guys, it's Jesus. We know it's Jesus. Um, So, yes, I would like for us to read Psalm 46. So if you can, you don't have to close your eyes for this one. Um, If you can turn to Psalm 46, we're going to read verse 1 to 3 and then jump down to verse 10 and 11. (coughs) All right, verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Verse 10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So this psalm was written in the reflection of what we read or what you guys listened to from Mark 4. So I think that, you know, knowing that, you know, we don't have to really be, or we're not really going to be in a physical storm where we're in the middle of a, you know, the ocean or anything like that. Um, but storms can actually, you know, anything that you go through in your life can represent, can represent a storm. And any storm still requires some sort of peace and rest in order for us to get through. So I want to focus a little bit on what the Bible says about what it means to be still and how we do that. Yeah, because it's easy to kind of be like, oh, just rest and be still. But how do we practically do that as believers? How do we get to the point where we're not being surrounded by anxious thoughts, where we're not being bombarded by that? Um, 
And then also, I want to just draw a little bit between the difference of what it is to physically rest, so have downtime and physically rest, but more than that is to rest in God and hope in God. So um, I'm just going to quote a couple of things. If you have pen and paper and want to write it down, you can do that. So Exodus 14, verse 13 and 14 says, Moses answered the people and he said, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance that the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians that you see today, will you, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. In terms of physical rest, again, let's go to Exodus 30. Oh, you don't have to go there, but I'll just quote it. Exodus 31, 17 says, It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested, and he was refreshed. So we know that the, well, the topic of the Sabbath is a really big topic, and it would take weeks and months to cover But we know that God mandates a day of rest. He mandates the Sabbath as being a day set aside as holy, as a covenant with God. We know that when uh, when God made the seven days, the six, when he created the world, it took him six days to create the world. And in the seventh day, he rested. I don't know that God was exhausted. Like, I don't know that he rested because he was exhausted because he's God. But I think that rest and what God showed us in what, in what he did on that Sabbath was that he appreciated his good work. He took a day to take a step back and go, yeah, okay, this is good. I've done good. And if God had to do it, then we've got to do it because we just, we've got to. Um, so <coughs> I, as I was preparing for Sunday, I was reading a lot about, hi, Carissa, Um, I was reading a lot about the Israelites and when they left Egypt and, you know, it's probably one of my favorite topics in the Bible is the Exodus. And um, I'm not going to teach on it because I'm no teacher. But um, one of the things that, you know, God kind of brought up in that was why there were times that God said they were unable to enter my rest. And it got me thinking, like, if God makes things available for us, like he makes rest available for us, then why would we not be able to enter it? Does that make sense? So it got me thinking, like, why, why does it feel like, uh, like we're tired? I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm just tired. And I don't, you know, I don't think that it's just the physically thing. I think sometimes even spiritually we're, we're human and, you know, we get tired. And anyway, so when you get a chance, I'm going to encourage you to read through um, Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4 um, because it speaks a lot about the correlation between rest and trust and um, unrest and disobedience because it's the flipped. But um, I just want to read quickly from Hebrews 3.19. It says, So we see that they, meaning the Israelites, um, were unable to enter God's rest because of unbelief. So again, like just like in Mark 4 where Jesus draws the correlation between rest and trusting in him, this is now... a almost like a confirmation of saying that when we don't enter God's rest, it's almost a sign of disobedience or unbelief. Guys, I don't know about you, but that freaks me out. Like That actually puts the fear of God right in me because it makes me think that, you know what, God didn't put me on this earth to just survive or to keep my head above water. God put me on this earth to obey and trust and love and be loved and know a higher and a greater calling And I think that that happens, or, you know, one of the elements that it it uses, it happens out of us being 
rested and trusting that God is in control. <coughs> so what does it mean to be resting in God? I've just got a couple of points here. Um, I think resting in God is internally practiced, but it's externally reflected. So it's something that we do on the inside, but you see the fruit of it on the outside. Resting is a choice. It's intentional. It's something that we have to attach our faith to. Yeah, choosing to trust God, choosing to put him first, and choosing to, to know that he's in control of our stuff. Resting in God is being with him, like just practically being with him. You know, I think that sometimes it's uncomfortable being with God. I don't know about you, but sometimes, you know, when, when st- stuff is going on, you, you know, you might get to the stage where like, I don't really know what to say, I don't really know what to do. But drawing close to him, choosing to draw close to him, choosing to rest with him and honor him, it actually does something to our soul. It actually refreshes something on the inside. <coughs> Intentionally setting aside your time and capacity. This has been a really big lesson for, or a learning for me over the last few years is setting aside time and capacity for God and for people um, and not needing to fill my time with people all the time or fill my time with God. Oh, no, man, we should always fill our time with God. But, you know, that, yeah, like, you know, God has just been teaching me that I'm allowed to set aside time for him and for people and to rest, but it doesn't need to be this striving. Ah, striving, you say. So this has been a word that's popped up a lot this week is... When we choose to trust God and rest in him, it actually eradicates striving because it removes the focus off of us. It takes away that it's not about what I do. It's not about who I am. It's not about my needs and blah, and it removes that. Um, So just a little bit about me. I work as a full-time chaplain at the moment in two schools. So I work in a high school and a um, primary school. And the role of a chaplain is, um, you know, we do a lot of counselling. We do uh, mediation. We do a lot of, you know, family intervention and things like that. So, um, oh, man, I forgot what I was saying. Striving, chaplain, yes. Oh, yeah, okay, cool. So in, sorry. <laughs> um, so in, in the role of chaplain, I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I currently am, am working in this space, and, and so I live and, and I hear all these words of well-being and mindfulness and, you know, unplugged and switch off and all these things that are, I think, really healthy and we need, you know, because you need to have downtime. But it becomes really internal when it becomes about you, you know, like even I actually, so this is being completely honest with you, when I first did my notes for the sermon, Brahm and I had a chat with me on the Wednesday and they're like, hmm, what are you trying to say? Because actually what I had drawn, what I had looked at as being rest, it was very internally focused. It was very about that was how I started with this, and then God pulled it, pulled it apart. But it started with being, oh, well, rest is looking after you. Make sure that you're looking after you because no one else is going to. But that's not how we live as Christians, guys. It is the polar opposite of that. It's let God look after you so that you can go look after someone else. And I think that <coughs> we, um, thanks, Randy, we, we see, like, you know, we really see that I think, I think at the moment, there's, like I was saying, sorry, let's go back. The space that I work in as a chaplain is, it's very, there's lots of words of mindfulness and there's a lot of that kind of stuff of, you know, looking after you, going internal. And the more I started thinking about that, the more I started thinking that the more inward I go, the worse it gets. 
Because the more inward I go, the more stuff I see, and it's scary. And so I just need God to deal with it. I need God to come in and flood those internal things and take control. And I'm learning that. I'm walking that out. But I think that that's something that as believers we can be encouraged by. That, you know, we have this Father who loves us and who knows us and who every day chooses to draw close to you and is just kind of waiting on you to draw close back. Um, Has anyone seen The Life of Pi? (laughs) You can raise your hand, please. Awesome. Thank you. (laughs) We can interact. Um, So The Life of Pi. Yeah, it's a really good, it's a good one. Um, And as I was, um, yeah, as I was prepping for today, um, I I ended up reading a, a synopsis, a movie synopsis about the, about a specific scene in the life of Pi, and it's the storm scene. Um, so I actually want to read to you what it says. This, the website that I was on, you know, was just a movie review or whatever, but they were drawing correlation between the storm scene in the life of Pi and to the involvement of God in the midst of a storm. So it says, In the movie The Life of Pi, there is a violent storm scene where instead of hiding like the tiger does, I'll just pause for a second, for anyone who doesn't know what the movie is about, just as a really quick recap, it's about a young boy, a young Indian boy who gets lost at sea and he ends up in the middle of the ocean, just him, a boat, a small bag of supplies and a Bengal tiger. You should watch it. Um, so instead of hiding like the tiger does, Pai is eager to witness the awesomeness of the storm, bolstering his awe and wonder of God. Pi didn't fear the storm, but was more interested in seeing the power of God than hiding from the terror of it, even if that exposure meant potential physical harm. It was at this point of witnessing the power of God through the storm that Pi could ask the questions as well as verbally submit himself to the will of God over his life. Pi yells to the sky. There's a scene where it's a raging storm, and he yells to the sky and says, "'You took my family. You took everything.'" I surrender. What more do you want? And we see that this is an act of complete surrender to the will of God in amidst a storm. And you know what, guys? That's legitimately everything. That's what God wants. He wants everything. You know, he doesn't just want a little part of you. He doesn't just want the Sunday you. He doesn't just want the holy you with the face. Like, he wants everything. Everything. So... We keep fighting for ourselves. You know, we keep fighting for our rights and what we think is right, what we think is... But I think at the end of the day, God is wanting us to lay down our rights and lay down our entitlements and go, God, not I, but you. Yeah? And I really loved a lot of the stuff that we were singing today, um, a couple of those songs. What were any of them again? (laughs) So (laughs) we were singing Alpha and Omega. And, you know, Alpha and Omega, I think it's Greek, I don't know, but it's the first and the last. And it's beautiful because that's what God is. He's the first and the last. He's Genesis to Revelation and everything in between. You know, everything that is anything, God is in and he's in control of. And we can take rest in that. You know, it removes the striving. It removes the, like, I need to be, I need to put on, I need to wear, I need to get it, get it, get it. But God is in control and he's above all of those things. Um, I forgot to check the time when I started. Okay. <laughs> um, can we all turn to Ecclesiastes? It's just after Proverbs um, 4 6. 
and it says, Better is one handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and striving after the wind. When I read this um, at the start of this week, or maybe at the end of last week, I was really, um, you know, I was really moved by it. And I was not really moved, I was kind of like, yeah, you know, like really excited because it was, I'm quite visual, so it was a really visual way of me looking at how God allows us to rest. And the idea of living with two hands full all the time is exhausting. It means that we are operating out of maximum capacity all the time. And guys, it's exhausting. I don't think that we're meant to do that. I don't think that we were created to live at maximum capacity full of our stuff all the time. But it says that, you know, that having two hands full is not just you holding stuff, but it's actually striving after wind. How do you strive after wind? You know, it's something that you can't, can't catch. You can't try and, like, you can't really hold it. You can't do anything with it. And that's what striving looks like. It's trying and trying and trying and not ever feeling like you can reach the goal. <coughs> um, so when, when we are operating out of the two hands full, it seems like it gets to us to a stage where we're trying to take things back into our own hands. We're trying to deal with it on our own and have control on our own and try and see it through on our own. But when we choose to have one handful of quietness, so still, you know, being diligent and having integrity in your work and doing what you need to do in life, like we can't just switch off from life and not be a chaplain or not be a mom or not be a sister or a brother or not be an employee, not be a manager. Like we still have to do those roles and work and whatever. But when we choose to live with one handful of quietness, it means that we have a lot more capacity for God to add to our plate and for us to be available for God's will and be available for people. Yeah, so people are the crown of Jesus. Jesus loves people. God loves people. And people are his, you know, his gems, his diamonds. And if we're so consumed with our own two hands full, like how, how beneficial are we as a church going to be to people that are exhausted, you guys? It almost like, can I just dare to say, I feel like as Christians, we're not allowed to be exhausted. <laughs> like we are, and we are because, you know. But I feel like because we have access to God, and we have access to his rest that is so pure and so fulfilling, it's almost like what leg do we have to stand on with feeling exhausted? Please don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? I understand that life and, you know, we have a lot of those things and we are human and we feel the feels. <coughs> but I really just, you know, I want to, if there's anything that you walk away with um, today, it's Psalm 4610, be still and know that I'm God. And that is something that is a, an instruction or that is something that God invites us into. It's not just a declaration. It absolutely is a declaration, but it's also an invitation for God to say, my peace is better than anything else. So be still, still your mind, still your heart, still your emotions. Still, let, allow God to still your circumstances and just know that he's God and he's in control. Um, I was led to, uh, once, uh, once I read that scripture, I was led to ask the question, okay, God, is being still, is it, me, is it physically me being still? Is it me like, you know, having days off and, you know, just having a day of nothing and calling it? And, and I think that, like, there's, there's value in that. There's absolute value in physical rest and we do need it. But what I felt God say was, it's actually not about me stilling myself, which causes the rest. It's me 
knowing and allowing God to speak into my circumstances and still everything in my circumstance and quieten my circumstance. And, you know, it's God speaking. It was Jesus speaking to the waves and the wind and declaring and demanding peace. And I think that that's where we can rest. That's what we can rest in. So knowing that God is in control of our circumstances, that's where our hearts can, can rest in. Um, I think, you know, regardless of the circumstance, you know, as I, when I was chatting to you about the, um, the South Africa stuff, one of, the, one of those circumstances had nothing to, you know, had, didn't have anything to do with me, didn't directly affect me, but it was the storm for someone else. And I was invited into that space and all I could bring was God, was prayer, was rest, was peace. And then there was another situation that directly affected me and direct, directly affected my life and my safety. And, you know, I, not to over-dramatise, but I really got out easy from that situation. I just lost my phone. That was it. I didn't lose anything else. I didn't, I didn't get physically harmed. I walked out of that situation really okay. Um, but still, it was, it was a situation that could have caused a lot of mistrust in me to then remain... I, the, I didn't um, explain the last part of the story was I'd, you know, I'd said that I was there for eight months and I was questioning whether to stay. After that, I knew that I was meant to stay. After that situation happened, I was like, yep, this is it. I'm here for the 12 months. I'm here to see it out until God calls me back home. And he did after the 12 months of being there. But that for me was this thing of, okay, God, you spoke peace into my circumstance, into my situation. Um, <coughs> I wasn't going to share this, but I think I'm going to. Is that all right? Just a quick story. Um, so last Friday, um, so th- I work at a high school um, over in Brighton, and we've unfortunately had a couple of different situations happen. My, some of my cell girls know about it. Um, but, you know, we've had a couple of different situations happen that have been very horrendous for the school and for the, for the students, and we've had a few suicides at the school, two of which have been um, year 11 students that have taken their own life within the span of 11 months. Um, grief and death are, are very big, huge things that they, they have this, you know, like earthquake effect through people. Um, and last week, there was a third student that had taken his life um, and he was a post-year 12 student. So he had graduated from year 12, was in uni. I didn't know him because I wasn't working at the school last year. But due to different circumstances in our school, I was asked to go and represent the school and give a tribute on behalf of the staff. Um, And again, I was, yep, well, it's part of my role, but it's also part of my identity as a Christian to be in situations that make me uncomfortable and bring the peace of God into those situations, (coughs) whether I like it or not. Because let me tell you, I didn't like it. I didn't want to be there. I would have rather been been at school or been at home, but um, I was invited to go and invited to speak. So, I shared a tribute that was written by the staff, and it was it was it was a beautiful you know ceremonial celebration of his life. Um, but I sat up you know I was standing at the back um, after giving the tribute, and the the beautiful mum of the young boy got up and was giving a, a you know her eulogy, um, and it was quite emotional and you know and she spoke a bit about her beliefs and, and what she believes in and things like that. And I just remember standing there going, man, how do we do it without God? Like, how do, I don't know, guys, like maybe you know more than I do in this, but how do we do it without Jesus? How do, you know, the, the, the fact that it, and it was such a complex thing, you know, like 
death and suicide especially is a very, very complex thing. It's not an easy thing to understand or it's not A plus B equals C. It's not that at all. But I realised in that situation, like, it made me more desperate for God. It made me more desperate to draw into him and seek him and his answers and seek his peace, not just for my, not just for my benefit, but for those around me who are really in need. So I think I'm going to start wrapping up. It's probably time. Um, yeah. When God says, be still, it's actually a triumphant statement. That's a die from quote. That's a quote from die. <laughs> so when, when Jesus says, be still to our storm, it's not a suggestion. It's not even a question. Hey, storm, you want to be still? It's not a question. He's actually declaring and commanding our circumstances to stop and be at peace. It doesn't mean that they disappear. Yeah, it doesn't mean that the pain disappears. It doesn't mean that the situation disappears. But it means that we can find our rest in the fact that God, Jesus himself, is speaking, directly looking and speaking to the circumstances and saying, shh. Alrighty. So I think we'll invite the team back up. I think it would be really cool if we could sing Alpha and Omega. Awesome. All right. So, guys, I'd like you to... Let's stand. Let's stand. And I'd invite you to, you know, just spend a bit of time with God in this, in this time of worship. And, you know, I would really encourage you to bring your storm, bring your situations, whether it's good, whether it's bad, bring your situations before God and make a choice to say, God, I don't need to carry this. I don't need to be the one that has it all together, but I can choose to rest in him. Father, we just thank you, God. We thank you that you are in control. Father, we thank you that you are the first and the last. God, you see everything in our lives, every situation, Lord God, every pain, every hardship, every anxiety, Lord God, you see it, every bit of breakdown that we feel in our lives, Lord. And Father, you still our storm. You command our storm, peace to be at peace. And Father, we thank you that our rest is in you, Lord God. It is not found in ourselves. It's not found in our striving, but our rest is found. doesn't know Jesus, that you've heard about Jesus, but you haven't really met Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you're feeling a stirring in your heart, maybe this is an opportunity for you to find that rest in Jesus. Our situation, our environment is not perfect as it is in heaven, Lord. But in the midst of the imperfection of our environment, we choose to worship you because you are worthy of all praises. You are worthy of all our worship. Father, as we, as your people, makes it our business to make this as our priority in everything that we do, that we worship you, Jesus. Everything will fall into place. Your word says that you inhabit in the praises of your people. Our understanding, God, that is every time we praise you, every time we worship you, we will experience 
your authority, your rulership, you are enthroning in our lives. Yes, Lord. Bless your people. Bless your people as we leave this place. We are marked as your people carrying your favor, your blessing in us. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.